Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I appreciate you, God. All right, I'm, I'm going to, again, I'm not going to apologize, but I'm going to let you know I'm, it's going to be a little theatrical this evening. See all the, all the props? Well, thank you. We got all the props up here and ready. But I thought about this message, believe it or not, five years ago. I had this idea, this thing that God gave me about the tabernacle message. If any of you teach exploring God's word, you know there's a tabernacle message in lesson uh, four, and uh, it is an awesome message. Now, we've enjoyed some fantastic preaching over the last few weeks, haven't we? Thank you, Brother Kylie. Brother Steve brought an awesome message. Brother Zapoli brought an awesome message. Uh, Brother Anthony Zenobia, fantastic message. Thank you for that because it has been enriching and powerful. And so the exciting news is, is God's got a door prize, a special door prize for you tonight. Someone's going someone's gonna to get God's door prize. You are going to walk out of here completely changed because of the teaching that God gives through this message right here. You're going to get up and say, I never knew that. I promise you, you will. Somebody in here is going to go away. And this is going to profoundly affect how you minister and how you witness and how you teach Bible studies. And so I'm very excited about it. I'm very honored, Brother Kylie, as we were going through the lesson six weeks ago, or going through the, the schedule, and we were going down the list of teachers. And I said, Brother Kylie, so you're going to do the Holy of Holies, right? He said, nope, you are. And I went, oh, man. <laughs> when he said, you are, I looked over my shoulder to make sure there wasn't anybody sitting behind me. Um, Brother and Sister Kylie are at district planning this week in Manitowoc, so that is why they're not here. And maybe that's why I got this by default, but that's okay. I'm, o- I'm okay with that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I want to, without further ado, I want to dive in, and I left my notes somewhere. Who- oh, I left them sitting on my seat. How about that? Now, I'm going to employ the use of Brother Zapoli and Brother Clark here in just a minute. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be the priest. Now, <clears throat> I actually went back and got Aaron's robe, and I was going to wear it for you tonight. I was going to be that theatrical. And, uh, and this is very similar. It's got the bells on it and everything. But you know what? I think I'm going to bypass that. I don't want to be a distraction. But I'm going to be the, pe- uh, the priest in the tabernacle. And I'm going to snapshot you through the tabernacle and exactly what this message represents. That's part one. And then part two, Brother Zapoli and I are going to take you to the last part. And that's the Holy of Holies, the veil and the Ark of the Covenant. And we're going to hopefully leave you with... An awesome message. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to, I want to leave you with something indelibly burned into your brain. And some people may not know or understand this message and profoundly what the tabernacle message really is and what it means. See, it wasn't just God gave Moses a church to put up in the, in the, in the wilderness and, and gave him something to do and set up all this stuff. And if you read uh, Leviticus and Exodus and in uh, Jeremiah and several other books of the Old Testament, there's very heavy detail in all of these specific things. It was so specific how everything was built. And God had a specific plan in place. And what I want to leave with you tonight is that this model, this foreshadow, this tabernacle is an introduction to Jesus for you like you've probably not heard before. See, but what we have laid out before us is Jesus. And what we have laid out before us is the specific plan of salvation 
that started from the beginning of time and carries through the book of Revelation. You see, this world, and Brother Zapoli pointed it out in his message, this world has taken religion and skewed it all over the place. The devil has perverted the message, and there are people that believe, and I'm, if I offend, I'm sorry, but I'm speaking truth. Can I speak truth tonight? There are people... There are people that have been taught and believe and have been deceived to believe that all you have to do is accept the Lord as your personal savior and you are saved. Okay, that's false, that's false doctrine. People believe that they're justified exclusively by faith. They just have to believe in God and you're saved. People believe that if you repent, you're okay and baptism is just something they did in the old times and it's if you wanna do it, you can, it's optional. Some people actually preach against baptism. And what I'm here to tell you is that the tabernacle message is a confirmation, a type and shadow, and a direction that was not only laid out in the Old Testament with Moses, but it was reflected again in the crucifixion, and it's reflected again in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when Jesus returned to this earth in an awesome way, filled us with his spirit, and gave Peter, the, the, the man who was in charge, the guy, he said, Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That's the guy I want to listen to. And so Peter was given that message just like Jesus expressed it on the cross at Calvary, and just like Moses put it together with Belzeal when they built these pieces. Amen. And so we're going to walk right through this process, and I want, you, I want you to walk away and say, I know what the truth is. I know what God intended for all eternity, what the plan of salvation is. Once and for all, I will have no doubts. I will have no questions in my mind. If somebody comes at me with that doctrine, I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to wonder. Because this is the salvation message right here. This brazen altar, and you can throw up that first, that first slide. Fellas, you want to come up and join me? As you learned earlier in the brazen altar, this is in the outer court. The average people, all the regular people came here on a daily basis. One lamb in the morning and one perfect lamb without spot in the evening. And they made a sacrifice every single day. And just as you see... Jesus hanging on that cross and the lamb superimposed. As John said, behold, the lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus is the lamb. Right here, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 28. Jesus was the offering for our sin. This is Jesus. And so these guys is there, as we look at the cross and we look at the ancient times in the tabernacle and today, when we lead somebody to an altar of repentance, we're sharing with them the brazen altar experience. We're sharing with them the crucifixion. First Peter 19, the lamb without spot is the way Jesus was described. Romans 6, chapter 6 says, we're crucified with him that sin might be destroyed. And so we have to liken each step to what Jesus went through. I'm sorry, but if you stand here and tell me that all I have to do is repeat his prayer and God forgives my sins, I will not believe that. I've never seen a person repent, die to themselves. What he dealt with on that cross was agony. It was pain, it was affliction. He was beaten for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And I refuse to believe that a simple prayer spoken out as a repetition of some man standing on a platform is the type and shadow of that event. We were crucified with him. And with that process is pain and it's agony. And we can minister people to that process. The death 
that we experience here is the death that we need to experience there. Repentance is not a skip step. You cannot just believe and move on. So the priest would be here and he would go through the sacrifice process and it it could be a lamb, a bull, a turtle dove, whatever the situation called for, but twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening, a lamb was sacrificed for remission of sins. Now, moving on, the brazen altar, as we know, was in the the outer court and that's where all the common folks could be, the non-priest. Now, if I'm the priest, I'm Aaron, for example, I've got on the priestly robes and I've got on the ephod and the hat and the breastplate and all those things. And that's because I'm representing leadership, the religious leadership of all the tribes of Israel. And so I have authority in this matter. But behind me is the holy place. And none of the common folk were allowed to go into the holy place. Man, I'm so glad that God does not look at us as the common folk. In fact, the matter is, you are priests in the temple. You are Aaron. Every single one of us is Aaron. Because Peter tells us that we're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a peculiar people, right? And so the priest would step into the holy place, and there before him would be the brazen laver. It was made with the shiny brass from the ladies uh, that they collected up and put together after they left Egypt, and they didn't destroy everything. And it was meant to be reflective. It was meant to for the priest could look upon the sin that he had there. Now he's got blood all over his hands, blood on his garments, blood on those pretty white robes. And so he would step in. Next slide, please. And as he would approach the brazen laver, it was his job to speak, take off, start to take off all that priestly jewelry and accoutrement and just keep on that one linen white robe. Because in this place, he was not the leader. He was not the authority. He was subject to God. And you can see Colossians 2 and 12 and Romans 6, 4 both say basically, but we're buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. We're buried with him and we're resurrected with him. See, the priest couldn't take this step, couldn't do the, the sacrifice, and skip on by and come over to the altar of incense. If he attempted to enter the Holy of Holies, he would drop dead. There is no sin because we know the Holy of Holies represents heaven, right? That's our goal, the Holy of Holies, the ultimate communion with God. Well, he couldn't step, he couldn't get into that place with sin on his life, he would drop dead. So every preacher, every minister out there that's teaching people accept God as your savior or just repent and believe and you're okay and they're telling them this isn't necessary anymore are killing people. They're killing them spiritually. You see, as Jesus was buried in that tomb, we're buried in this water and if these guys could get over there, the next step is to get them into that water so that when they come up out of the water, they're resurrected with him. Romans 6, 4 through 5 says, Therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, they're acting this out because I, I want to get across indelibly into your mind. Death, burial, resurrection, sacrifice, washing, Holy Ghost repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost. They're all the same. This is a type and shadow. It's a pattern. It's confirmation and proof to you 
that what we preach, the doctrine that is out of the word of God that we share in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 is unequivocally the saving message for a world, a lost and dying world that we need to reach. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. First Peter chapter three tells us eight souls were saved by water. They weren't taking a bath. They were saved by water. John three and five, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Well, in my world, in the way I work with English language, you could easily put, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not and is not baptized will be damned. So if this person repents and comes and says, well, I don't think I have to do that, to me that's disbelief. But see, people are being deceived with that message. The devil has infiltrated the doctrine since the dark ages. And now it's common. It's, it's, it's almost a U.S. thing. It's an American thing. Evangelical Christians all over this nation deceived that they're doing what God wants them to do or refusing to believe. So the priest comes up to the, the brazen laver here and, and he's got blood on his hands. And we all know that phrase. It, it's a, it's a, a colloquialism to represent guilt. Remember Pontius Pilate at the crucifixion said, I don't want this man's blood on my hands. And he literally walked over to a basin of water and washed his hands. And the people of Israel said, let his blood be on our hands and in our children and our, and our descendants. And look what happened to them. And so he stands, comes to the labor, and it was job to wash his feet, take off those leadership parts of his garments and begin to soak the blood any blood that would spatter on his robes because he was wearing a white linen robe. And I want to share this with you, more confirmation. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Folks, that's talking about you and me. That's talking about the, the resurrected church of God standing in white robes. Isaiah 61 and 10, back to the Old Testament. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Revelation twenty two fourteen. blessed are those who wash their robes. Revelation 7 and 13, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? Talking about the saints. Revelation 6 and 11, and they, were, they which were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. White robes, white robes, white robes. Don't stand there, devil, and tell me that baptism is not necessary, that it's a thing of the past, that it's something you act out because you're just doing something in faith. Folks, they are required to be baptized. Matthew 28, verses one through 20. It says, now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to women, do not be afraid, for I know that you ask, seek Jesus who was crucified. White robes. 
Matthew 22 and 11, but the king came in to look at the guests. He saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And that comes from the parable of the man who came to the king's wedding and he didn't have the issue. See, in Jewish tradition, if there was going to be a marriage and you were going to be invited, the men that were helping with the marriage would, would come to you and they would give you a white robe as a sign of your invitation. And so when you came to the king's house, they knew that you belonged there. You weren't just a beggar or someone trying to come in and, and crash the party. And so as that parable goes, when it's determined that he doesn't have the wedding garment on, he's cast into outer darkness and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That means hell. And so the priest has now cleansed himself and it's time to move on to the altar of incense. Now, again, throughout, we see Jesus. Jesus was baptized, Matthew 3 and 16. Jesus, the Lamb of God. And as we approach the altar of incense, we see the candlesticks. Jesus is the light of the world, John chapter 12. We see the table of showbread with the bread on it, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. John 6, chapter 33. Jesus is the bread of life. Do you see what I'm saying? We, had, we come to the altar of incense and reminded of Jesus' prayer in the garden in Luke chapter 22. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, please don't tell me, please don't tell me that everywhere that Jesus is represented here somehow stopped in the modern world and he just decided, any way you feel like you come to God is okay with me. It's a lie because everywhere in the tabernacle and I can't express enough, if the priest did any of these things wrong, he was killed, he died. I'll give you an example. Aaron had two sons. And uh, uh, his, uh, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, Nadinabab and Abihu. And these two guys came. Now, when it came time to put the oil on the altar of incense, and, and they drew lots, and uh, it was an opportunity, not a, oh, gosh, I have to go in there and do the work now. They wanted it. So in order to figure out who did it, they cast lots, and these two guys won that day. But they were kind of lazy. They were kind of, they didn't really feel like doing the work. And so these two boys didn't do something extremely important in the process. You see, the fire that burns in the altar of incense comes from here. It comes from the coals that are saturated from the blood of the lamb. See, when we're praying and we're communing with God, the altar of incense representing the prayer and the intercession with God and the relationship we have, it starts with acknowledging the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, the coals soaked with his blood are burning on that altar of incense. And when that priest stood there and he lifted up those prayers as a sweet-smelling savor to God's nostrils, he began a relationship with God. He communed with God. See, a lot of churches do this part or some version of it. A lot of Christians do this part or some version of it. But where it stops is right here. Because this is the place where the relationship stops, starts. You cannot have a relationship with God. You cannot have an intimate relationship with God without your prayer, without your daily supplication, daily repentance. And so, so many Christians go through the motions. They, maybe they repent, maybe they're baptized, and then they just live their lives. God help us if we don't have a daily sacrifice, a daily visitation at the altar of incense. This is where it begins. See, 
That's the death. This is the burial and the resurrection. But to go on, we have to have the relationship. So many people, as I said, believe that you have accept the Lord as your personal savior. You're justified by faith or just believe and you're saved. But there are no multiple paths to God. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all is who, above, who is above all and through all in you all. One, a single message. And it's reflected right here in the tabernacle that God gave Moses on Sinai. And so the priest comes to the altar of incense. They partake of the bread. The light is shining and lighting up the inside of the tent here. Jesus is surrounded by Jesus. Jesus, in foreshadow. The altar of incense with the crown, he would take some of the blood and he would put it on the horns, representing the authority of God. And he would pour the oils and the special perfumes over the coals that were once saturated by the blood of the lamb. And he would stand and he would commune with God. And the relationship would begin. Brother Joe is going to talk to you guys and take you on to the veil. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor Russ. How do I follow that? Amen. That's fantastic. Thank you, Jacob. Jacob, the, the, the one who's, who's never known Christ, but comes to an altar of repentance and is baptized in the name of Jesus and then becomes a new creature. Amen. A new creature in Christ. So I'm the new Jacob, <laughs> the new creature. Old, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And then was the veil. The veil, there was this curtain that was made of fine linen and it was made of blue and purple and scarlet, beautiful colors. One historian said that in the Jerusalem temple, which was rep replicated by the, by the wilderness tabernacle, the veil measured 60 feet in height. It was 30 feet wide and it was around four inches thick. He said that horses tied to each side could not pull the veil apart. Nothing could rip the veil apart. It was not the object of the veil to give access to God, but to prevent access to God. That was the object of the veil. That was its, that was its purpose. The veil in all of its beauty and all of its splendor was not a welcome sign. Oh, it looks beautiful and you just want to enter in. But it was a stop sign. You're not welcome here. No entrance, no further, no trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Have you seen some of that, you hunters? Stop. God said, you cannot enter into my presence because I am holy and I cannot abide with sin. You will die if you enter in. So the veil was a constant reminder to the people, the common people, me and you. A constant reminder, day after day, that sin was the great gulf that separated us from Almighty God. One day a year, one day a year called the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter in beyond the veil into the holiest place on earth where the presence of God resided. But other than that, the presence of God remained shielded from man. He could never experience it for himself. Hebrews chapter nine, verse seven, but only the high priest entered the inner room 
and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Never without blood. Even if you're going to enter that one day a year, you couldn't just come in any old way that you wanted to. There was only one way in. And if you came in any other way, the high priest would die as well. But oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did for us. Amen. Thank you for allowing yourself to be beaten, to be bruised for my transgressions. Amen. Thank you, Lord. They plucked your beard for me and they spit on your face for me, for the, for the sin that I committed. Thank you for taking my place on the cross. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 and 51. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. When he died, this beautiful veil that blockaded the common people from the presence of Almighty God was forever ripped in half, forever ripped in two from the very top to the very bottom. Praise God. Signifying that it wasn't by man's hands. Oh, after all, it was 60 foot tall. How could a man rip it from top to bottom? But it was God's doing forevermore, doing away with the veil so that we could enter in to the holy of holies. Only God could have carried out such an incredible feat. Jesus' death on the cross was a game changer. Was a game changer. Have you ever played a game with somebody, somebody and you started to change the rules a little bit because you were losing? I have. But you can't do that. Why? Because you weren't the author of the game. You didn't create the game. Jesus Christ wrote the book. He created the game. He had the power to change the game for your sake and for my sake. Because we were losing. Because we would never be able to win without his help. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. Which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. I love that verbiage, new and living way. Not an old way, not a dead way. Think about this, not like the lifeless way. Through the law of offering the blood of a dead animal. Not through the dead way anymore, but real, vital, perpetual, continuous. Because the life-giving Savior is that way. He is alive. And it is a living hope that we have producing not dead works, but living works. When Jesus Christ died, he went and whipped Satan. Like an angry parent whips a disobedient child. He took Satan over his knee. Didn't you hate that? Nothing you could do about it. And Jesus Christ whipped Satan. He completely wrecked him. 
and took the keys to death, hell, and the grave so that you and I are no longer bound by sin, so that we can come in and we can experience freedom into the holy of holies. Moving on, Hebrews 10, 21, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Now every day we have the ability to enter into the holy of holies. But remember, you can't just strut in any old way. You can't just come in your way. You have to come in his way. No, no, the, you, the, you came to the altar of sacrifice the way that you were. That's where you could come to God how you are. You came to an altar of repentance how you were. But you can't enter into the holy of holies how you are. See, if you pass up these steps, as Pastor Russ said, if you pass these up and you try and enter in, God may have mercy on you, may have grace because we're in the New Testament age and God may not strike you down dead, but you'll never experience freedom and you'll never get past your own self where you should have crucified your sin and crucified your flesh. You'll never enter into the Holy of Holies and experience the presence of God. No, God still has one way, one way. Come as you are, but leave changed. You husbands come home to your wives after work after a 10, 12 hour day and give her a big old bear hug? Or do you have to take a shower first? Do you have to clean up first? Amen? No, you can't just come in and do what you want, but you gotta do it God's way. We have access every day, every day, every day to the presence of God. Don't you take it lightly. God, help me not to take it lightly. Don't be guilty of taking Jesus' sacrifice for granted. He set you free. Can you imagine if you were in prison and a life sentence, forever in prison, maybe even had the death sentence over you? Can you imagine being locked up and somebody coming with a key and opening that, that cell door and setting you free forever? How many of us would just say, oh, you didn't have to do that, thank you so much, and go our own way? How many of us in our right mind would do that? No, no, what can I, I can't believe it. How can I ever repay you? What can I do? Can I follow you home? Can I cook you dinner? Can I live with you every day? Can I thank you? Can I just be obnoxious? Can I call you? Give me your phone number. I'm gonna text you, right? We couldn't leave the person alone who set us free forever. Somebody came and just gave you a check for the rest of your mortgage, just paid off your home. Oh, you didn't have to do that. Thank you so much. Shake hands. I'll see you later. No, thank you. Thank you, God. Don't let me take for granted. You set me free from a life of sin and bondage. I'm forever free. And we can enter the holy of holies. And we can experience a communion with God every day. Don't be guilty of taking it for granted. Get to know God every day. So back to Nabinab and Abihu. They came into the altar and they didn't take the coal out of the, 
out of the brazen altar and they approached and they kindled their own fire. And the Bible says that they kindled the fire and put it into the altar of incense and God consumed them instantly and killed them because he said they brought strange fire into the tabernacle. Strange fire is false doctrine. See, evangelical America is teaching just believe on the Lord and you'll be saved. They don't know anything about the coals. They don't know the experience of what it is to break down and be broken before God and weep and cry and acknowledge what they had done wrong. See, we're skipping repentance. The most crucial step is the first one, right? And so these two young men were killed because they brought a strange fire before God. They never even made it to the veil. They never even made it to the Holy of Holies. God said, nope, uh-uh, you're out of order. Boom, and they were gone, consumed with fire, just like that. And Aaron was admonished for it. And so the priest who does the right thing pours it over the coal of the lamb and his brother Joe just awesomely described the veil, the flesh of God, the representation that's there. But that one man, Aaron, the man that God determined as the leader, the chief priest, would have to get down on his hands and knees and crawl under that veil. There is no door. There's no split in the veil. There is no way around it. It's one gigantic, as he said, 60 feet long or tall and, and four inches thick. And so how did he enter the presence of God? In humility, on his hands and knees. And he came up underneath that thick, heavy cloth and there the Shekinah glory just shined on the Ark of the Covenant. He stood in the presence of God, one man in all the nation of Israel. And every single one of you that's in here that has the Holy Ghost and has been through this process stood in that exact same place because of what Brother Joe just preached to us. And so the priest would enter and he would stand there. Now here's something really neat. The Ark of the Covenant represented the center of the universe to God Almighty. This spot right here, he called the mercy seat. Literally, in all of the galactic expanse of all of his creation, the entire universe, however big it is, right there was the center of his universe in Jerusalem. Right there, he dwelt. This was his throne. The mercy seat is where he stayed. By day, it was a cloud of, a white cloud that guided Israel through the wilderness, and by night, it was a pillar of fire. And so on that day of atonement, we call Yom Kippur today, the priest would take the blood from the sacrifice and he would pour it on the mercy seat. And if God accepted that sacrifice, he would consume it in fire and the sins of Israel would be pushed forward for an entire year, not remitted. You see, there was no permanent remission of sins at that time because the perfect one had not yet come and had not died. But see, when you made that sacrifice and you stood at that altar and you prayed and communed with God and you made that move into that holy place, that spot where we were in worship just a little while ago, man, we were in the holy place. We were in the holy of holies. The worship in here was so powerful and so thick and God's presence was here. We were standing in the holy of holies. See, there's two stories to this box right here and I'll tell you in a minute. It contained three very important things. Brother Joe, inside this box was a fresh pot of manna that's never rotted. The original manna from the wilderness. And it represents God's provision. Alongside of that is the rod that Aaron had that budded. When God got all the priests together and said, okay, let's, let's decide who the leader is. Put your rods down on the ground. And Aaron's budded. And that was God's sign of authority and said, you are the chief priest. And that represents authority in the miraculous. 
And alongside that were the tables of stone and the law that, that Moses got from Sinai. And that represents God's direction, his will, his purpose for us, his law. And all those things are contained in the Ark of the Covenant and protected. And you know all the stories of the Ark. At, at Jericho, they marched around the city and the walls were completely destroyed. They went into battle. This was a palladium of war for the Israelites. They took this thing in. If they were in the will of God, they wiped out everybody. But it's that mercy seat, that place where God's forgiveness is, that really made the difference. See, there's two stories to this, to this structure right here. And we don't know where it is, and I don't think Indiana Jones has found it yet. He went to space or something, but anyway, there's two very key stories to this today. Because just like I said, every single step that's represented here is exhibited on the cross of Calvary. It's exhibited here. See, the real tr true story is the ark is this church. See, it's here where they find the manna, the fresh bread that they need so desperately. It's here where they find the authority of God and the direction in their lives because they're lost, they're wandering. It's here in the church that they find the miraculous like we saw in Aaron's rod. It's here where they find the law and the direction and the will and the testament of God. See, the ark is the church. The church is the ark. And it carries all of that. And so when you bring them in, when you bring your guest and your visitor, you're bringing them to the ark of the covenant. You're bringing them to the presence of God. See, because the reality is, this is the holy of holies right here. And I'm sorry, I feel bad for the folks when Brother Kylie preaches an awesome anointed message or Brother Ball or Brother Zapoli or whoever's here and we have an altar call message and people don't come. It's like saying, oh, the Holy of Holies, the veil's open? Ah, I got a football game I got to go see. They're making food in the back. Why don't we run to the altar? Run to the Holy of Holies where the miracle is, where God's presence is, the mercy seat. He's sitting there waiting to bless, waiting to fill your friend with the Holy Ghost, waiting to give you a miracle in your life in the Holy of Holies where the fire of God exists. This is where we need to be. Right here is the heart of God. But you see, when we go through this salvation process, the way we know it is, the way that it's taught in Acts, not the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, it's taught out in the world. Look at some of their doctrines, some of their materials. I challenge you to find the book of Acts written in their materials. Why? Because the devil's perverted that doctrine and deceived them not to see it. But see, when you went through this process, God renewed your heart. And he filled it with himself. Yes. And he put it inside you. Just like it was right here. God's heart, God's presence, the fire, the cloud, everything is in here. And then, and I'm going to read you 2 Corinthians 3, 3 through 6, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. And as such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient to ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. The second part of this story is that we, 
are the Ark of the Covenant. We're the Ark. We've got the word written on the tablets of our flesh. We've got the spirit inside the heart. The manna is here. The authority is here. He can go and pray for someone. And the authority of Jesus' name can heal people. He can reach people. When you go out and you teach your Bible study in your house, you are the Ark of the Covenant. When you go out and witness to a friend at work, when you go to a hospital and witness someone sick and pray for them, you are the Ark of the Covenant. You are what God is looking for. We don't need this veil anymore. It's gone. We don't need need the holy place. We don't need the holy of holies because we have the church of God, which is you. And that's our job. And that's the story of the tabernacle. It's the truth. It's the process. It's Jesus from end to end. But it's you. It's me. And it's our job to do that. If we can stand tonight. I'm so thrilled to have been able to dive into this. Folks, there's a thousand directions that Brother Joe and I wanted to go. There's so much we could talk about. The book of Revelation, the things that are coming that are not yet even discussed or seen are spoken in this message. I challenge you, get into it. If you haven't studied it, study it now. Learn what this is about. Follow it through Hebrews and Revelation, all of the New Testament where it's reflected. And it will bless your life. If we've got, do we have a musician that's coming? They left. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put it out there. I, I hope it's left you with something. I know Brother Joe and I worked really hard together. We wanted to really make a lasting impression. I want you to walk away and see that person praying at the altar and believe it can be the person that you're looking for, the person that you care about. I want you to see that person who gets up and says, yes, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. I believe what you're saying is true because if you're ever challenged... You can say, listen, if you don't believe what we're saying, let me show you how it's reflected through the whole Bible. And you take them back to the tabernacle. Remember Moses? Everybody knows him, right? Well, here's what he built. And you take them right on through to Calvary. And that message is going to impact them. God's word does not come back void. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you again, God, for the message that you provide us in your word. We thank you so much of the manna and the miracle and the authority and the law, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, for this. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.